Good morning, Minneapolis and other beautiful cities all around the world. My name is Lavia Alva, and I'm an extreme extrovert. So, you know, something really settled with me um, the other day, actually. Um, I read uh, one of my chapters in the Alcohols Anonymous by Will, Bill. God, I'm such bad, bad with names. Bill. Bill W., I believe his name is. Anyway. um, So, yeah, I was reading a few of my chapters because, you know, uh, yesterday was my first day off. Days off were, uh, they were always triggers for me before. Um, just because I had so much time on my hands and I really sometimes felt intimidated. I was like, what am I going to do with all this time? Um, you know, alone or in your mind. You know, it's kind of creepy sometimes to always, you know, have these thoughts in your head. So I used to just go to the bar and drink. You know, either sometimes with my friends, sometimes by myself. Um, first with my friends, but then eventually I had to do it by myself because I was discovering I was an alcoholic. And then now I don't do it at all. But it was uh, definitely a process. And yesterday was my first day off in a long time. And I was sober. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) You know, I'll be home by myself with my thoughts, with my being. Um, But it actually didn't go so well. I I mean, God, it actually didn't go so bad. It didn't go so bad. Um, it didn't go so well for my anxiety, my depression that was trying to get me down. But <laughs> it went well for me, actually. Um, and I ended up just, you know, I woke up, got my stuff done. I went, I, I'm i writing my uh, relapse prevention plan. I am stepping down to two days a week, only two days a week now in rehab. And this is a really exciting time for me because, you know, I think I mentioned this earlier in in another podcast, but just to recap, if you weren't here for the beginning, I was in rehab and, well, I am still in rehab. I'm continuing rehab, but because I was, you know, consistent with taking my classes, consistent in trying and being sober, um, I'm able to step down. So now I have one less day of the week that I am um, physically doing rehab. And this day, Thursday, is my new day off. Kind of. I still work in, at night, you know, closing up my second job. But, like, technically in the morning, you know, it's brunch time. The most triggering hour of the day. And it actually went really well. One thing that has really helped me settle on the idea of just (laughs) sitting and existing, enjoying life, is the idea that our thoughts are just thoughts. And our memories, in reality, are also just thoughts. I know it's harder to take, like, this, like, realization in depending on the situation like for example like if someone dies like because of that emotional tie you're not gonna just be like oh they're gone (laughs) like okay we're gonna move on now like that's not reasonable um but 
whether it is like someone dying or whether it's coping with addiction, they're going to be totally different journeys and they're totally different, you know, in regards to trying to cope. But the memories of the activities, the memories of the people, the memories of how we felt, those are memories. Those aren't physical things. And I think that sometimes we forget that memories and thoughts have so much power over us. When I was active in my addiction, my mind was always backwards. It was always behind. It was always like, I have to drink by myself now because none of my friends like me. Um, I am doing this now because of this, you know. Because um, somebody had betrayed me in the past. Now I am untrustworthy. And those are toxic thoughts, really. Because those are not realities. Those are not the present. And after realizing this, it really has helped me a little bit in my everyday life. Um, Not only in specifically... Well, especially with addiction. Because as an addict... As anyone would know who is an addict or probably has a family member or a friend or a sister or somebody who is an addict, they know that addicts feel guilty. We always feel guilty because there's a substance, there's a thing in your life that unfortunately gives you comfort so much so that it really kind of comes before everything else. Physically, it does. Because it's the only way that you can really feel a release of all life's emotions. But the truth is, life is going to be tricky. Life's going to have a lot of emotions. But staying in the moment and physically being aware of what you're doing right now, not so far in the past, not so far in the future, just right now, really helps me. Because I'm focusing now on my podcast. Right now I'm focusing now on walking on the pavement. I'm focusing on getting from A to B. I'm not focusing on, you know, who I hurt in the past. I'm not focusing on, you know, what what mistakes I had made. And I'm not saying, like, make a mistake and then be like, oh, that's in the past. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, like, moving on with it. But not not moving on, moving through with it. Moving through. I don't really like that saying moving on. Because, you know, when you encounter a mishap, a travesty, a horrendous event. Now, maybe it doesn't even have to be horrendous. It could be small, like you lose your job. For some people, that's significant. That was a job that they loved. Um... You know, no problem is really big or small. It's a problem. And anything that's going through your life, you got to work through. And when people say, like, oh, get over it, you know, like, get over it, move on. Well, that sometimes is impossible because, you know, you, you learn things from that experience. And you learn. Not only do you learn, but it also affects you. And how your life will persist on after that event. 
but that event does not make you. And in regards to addiction, this is what I really don't like in our society. In the United States, anyway. At least in social media. And I saw this a lot when I was looking at the George Floyd case. When I was going through the trials, like everyone has, probably, or some of us have. And just watching what they bring up in Floyd. You know, how they describe him. And as an addict, for me personally, I felt kind of frustrated because... This is a murder. This is a This is a situation that really escalated quickly. The murder of George Floyd happened very quickly. And it could have been de-escalated numerous of times. But it wasn't. And the part where they bring up that he was using and that he you know, had this opioid problem. For me personally, that's really upsetting because whether or not someone has a mental illness, addiction isn't a men- is a mental illness. Addiction is not something someone chooses, it's a symptom. <coughs> Excuse me. I cough. <laughs> it's raining outside, guys. Oh, God. When the seasons change, my allergies... Oh, my God. Anyway. Uh, going back to topic. But, like, it doesn't... It shouldn't determine how you treat someone. It really shouldn't. And, like, just because someone is an alcoholic, that is a symptom of something. Most... Definitely. Like, I have a substance abuse disorder. A substance use disorder. Sorry. Substance use disorder. It is a disease. Some people are lucky. Some people, they can... They're normal people. (laughs) Or tempered people. How, like, alcoholics like to call them. Tempered people. Normal people. Um, And they can go about their life have a drink, and move on with their life, right? That's a tempered person. A normal person. Um, And for someone with a substance use disorder, that would never happen. That's never realistic. Having one is never going to be realistic for anybody with a substance use disorder. Does that mean we should kill everybody off because they have some kind of defect? No. And that's how monstrous I felt bringing up his disorder was. I do understand that for medical reasons, they needed to verify, you know, the cause of death. Which, you know, they they do that for legal issues for both sides. Even though, you know, even though the picture is pretty clear what happened there. the, The picture is pretty clear. Most of the public saw. Everyone knows what happened. But, you know, you gotta write it down on paper, you gotta write down the facts. That's just how the law works, so... You know, enough about that, because, you know, I don't wanna, um... Put too much emphasis on that topic. But, in all in all, 
Um, you know, I wish, I wish the greatest of justice and love for Floyd's family. And I really hope that they get what they believe that they deserve. And I hope that they receive the kindness that the world really does. <laughs> oh God, even they really do deserve some kindness, some warmth, and some love. And I hope that they see that through this week. Anyway. But as I was saying, it was it is really rainy here in Minneapolis. It's the spring. Um I like the springtime. I never really was bothered by the rain either. Like the rain always kind of makes me feel calm. I'm just trying to focus really hard this week because you know, since my step down, I feel like I have a lot more responsibility that I have to put forth now. And when you step down, at least in my program, you have to write out a rehab recovery, like a, like a relapse prevention plan. And I'll share with you guys some of the questions that they ask. Not gonna show, like, not gonna say my answers, but I will definitely, um, tell you what kind of questions they ask. I don't have the paper with me right now, but next time I definitely will. And I would love to share that information with you guys. So, but I know um, on the top of my head, for sure, um, the relapse prevention plan really outlines um, specific emotional, physical, and situational triggers. So what you do is you, your therapist will say, hey, you know, think of an, uh, a situational trigger that triggered you. And what are you going to do to either cope, um, avoid, or work, you know, work through this, right? And so on the top of my head, I can think of that one time that I relapsed. I was at a restaurant. I was hungry as hell. And knowing the prime times in Minneapolis, sometimes they're more busier than others, especially around lunch, especially during, you know, two to three. You know, Minneapolis is a city, so it's even if COVID is around, it's still busy. Um, and I was really hungry, and I there was no place to really find a quick bite. I was in a double. I was having my both my jobs. And I only had like about maybe an hour or two in between. And so I went to go grab a bite to eat somewhere in Uptown. And there was no seating available. And the lady was like, hey, you could go sit down at the bar. And my ass knew immediately. I was like, oh shit, I shouldn't do that. Depending on my mental state, I was like, you know, at that time in my recovery, I was like... I kind of still believed that, oh, you know, if you're in a good positive mindset, you know, fuck the triggers, you know, your willpower is strong and you can do it, you know? Like when you're first going through this, like recovery, you always think that, you know, your willpower will change it all. And a lot of your friends kind of think that too, you know, like 
lot of people that love you and care about you, they have this hope that one day you will wake up and realize that your drinking is bad and you will change. A lot of loved people, like people that love alcoholics and addicts, have this notion. And you yourself even have this notion because you realize that you have a problem and then you're like, you know what? I have a problem. Now that I know, I can fix it, right? Easy as that. Just wake up, be like, hey, I'm not going to do this. Easy. But then, you know, what people don't understand and what you, I didn't understand either at that point in my recovery is that I actually have a substance use disorder. So I don't develop cravings for alcohol unless it touches my lips, unless I ingest it. So if I'm, you know, if I'm just walking around and there's alcohol on the table and I decide that I'm not going to have any, you know, the cravings won't happen. But, you know, we're all human and because we have very different mental processes and we're at different levels of life, there was a time in my sobriety that I was like, you know what, I've been sober enough, I can just take this drink. I'll just have one. I'll be a normal person. And that's what addicts want. That's what alcoholics want. We want to be like normal people. We want to drink like normal people. We want to associate ourselves with those people. We want to be those people that just have one drink. I've dreamt of being this person. I'm like, I will try with all my willpower to be this person. And I really just kind of have to radically accept that I will never be that person. And I am not that person. And at first it was really upsetting. At first it was really upsetting. I was in denial. And now I'm like, you know, this is what we got to work with. (laughs) You know, and it's really true when someone says it really depends on your mental state. You know, and I think I was interpreting it too Literally. I, I was interpreting it like if I change my mindset, I will be a tempered drinker. I will be a normal person. But what I wasn't actually doing was changing my mindset about who I was and what identity I had. I had to change my mindset. Yes, I'm an addict, but I'm also a person. I have desires. I have dreams. I have ambitions. I am a sister. I I want to be a mother. I want to get my doctorate's degree. I love to travel. I am a world traveler. I am a podcaster. I'm an extrovert. (laughs) And all these other characteristics that I forgot about. All these wonderful things that people look at me for that I was not looking at myself for. And I think it's easy to do when our friends are in recovery or the people that we love is bad, are battling an addiction. It's easy for us to sometimes provoke them. It's sometimes easy to almost support them. You know, in my addiction, people babied me the whole time. For good reason, because I'm a woman, you know, they don't want me drunk out on the street, something happening to me, but that's, that's terrifying, you know, people did that because they loved me, but 
it also provoked my addiction. And it's it's tricky, you know, when you love someone with an addiction. Because, like I said earlier, sometimes you think that they will be cured. Sometimes they will see the love and the care that you are giving them. And they you will say, hey, that'll be enough. But honestly, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's actually a physical disorder. And that's why it's important to seek people that understand and are willing to understand your struggles. And that's always why I kind of advocate listening to your gut. Listening to those who care about you. And if your loved one has an addiction, you know, and they've tried so many things, the thing is, they might need a little bit of help. They might need medical help to stop. I know I needed professional help to stop because mentally I could not process some of the things that I had to go through. Drinking, I actively drinking for about 17 years on and off all my life. Most of my life now. It's hard, you know, to adapt to a lifestyle that is not what you used to do. And it's, it's hard <laughs> to change something that you might not want to change about yourself. But realizing that it can be changed. And that's why I always, uh, well, not I always, I always say this. I always, 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 I always, always, always say always. <laughs> I don't know why I say that. It's like a filler word. It's like, like, you know what I mean? Like those, oh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to try not to say all those things. Anyway. But that's why I recommend the Alcohols Anonymous by Bill W. I recommend you reading that because, um, Yes, it's mainly a guideline for alcoholics. <laughs> but if, you know, if you have anybody that's battling with addiction or someone really close to you or you yourself, reading it really gives you some insight about um, understanding the mind, um, understanding the struggles, the emotional um, processing of being an addict. And one other thing I just kind of want to point out is, you know, when... You, when you're an addict, and I'm not complaining about this, this is just what it is. You know, when you're an addict, when you have cancer, for example, people feel sorry feel for you. They feel, you know, sad. They pray for you and they, like, help you out, you know, because they're like, hey, this is a significant problem. This is a significant stress that someone has gotten, put on themselves, um... Not on purpose, because cancer can be caused by anything. You could be the cleanest person, still get cancer. Cancer is dangerous. Sneaks up on you. Sneaks up on people we love. And when that happens to someone, you give the family your greatest regards. And you wish the greatest upon them. But that's not about what happens with addiction. When you're an addict, people despise you. When you're an addict, 
people are like, ugh, gross. You know, and it's a disease. So when you see that homeless man, you know, he's struggling with his addiction. When you see someone's father, don't make fun of him. Because it's a disease. It's something that they cannot help and they are struggling. And some people are not as blessed to receive the information that they are getting. So please be patient with them. Please have at least a little bit of compassion. And I'll leave you with that thought. I gotta go to work now. (laughs) Gotta go work. Work, 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 work. Okay, well. And with that, I hope everyone has a good week. Do something nice for yourself. And safest, safest, safest of travels.